Hey family, this is Reginald Kuakaru, founder of Comedic Centered Living. I help those that are transitioning from Christianity get over the negative Christian programming and to help you answer the questions that Mama Nim said you should not ask. Through detailed research and explanation of ancient comedic spiritual science, I'll shed light on the errors of Christian doctrines that keep you bound up with fear and anxiety. Through learning these ideas, you're going to gain knowledge that will help you live life boldly, authentically, unapologetically, and on your terms without guilt or shame. So today I want to address uh, a concept that we are taught in Christianity, or well, I guess I should say that uh, it's attempted to be taught in Christianity, but there is like so much confusion. But I want to teach it in terms of how can you practically apply it, because that's what really matters to me in a lot of this stuff. It's not just dropping information or dropping knowledge. It's dropping knowledge that can help you move forward and improve your life. OK, so when I'm talking about the Trinity uh, and, and explaining uh, how and what it is, this is the bottom line of, of where I'm getting to. And I want to look at how uh, a couple of gentlemen uh Christian-wise, that are trying to express this idea of the Trinity, but they do it in such a contradictory way. It just makes it absolutely positively useless for us, okay? And it's kind of like the game, um, uh, what are we, the game that we used to play in, in school called uh, Telephone, where you would, uh, well, the teacher might give you uh, a phrase, write it on a piece of paper, give it to the first person in the first desk, they read the phrase and then they have to turn around and whisper it to the person behind them who then whispers to the person behind them and so on and so forth. Well, I remember as a teacher, I would do that uh, in my classroom and invariably you would get to the end of the uh, last person or the person in the last desk and the phrase would be absolutely nothing like what you started out from, okay? And you had the proof because you wrote it on a piece of paper. And the class would always laugh, you know? But but it was funny, but this is how Christianity has become uh, in, in a lot of ways. They, it's like we played uh, religious telephone with ancient doctrines that people have no clue of what the starting point was. That's the problem with trying to explain the Trinity with a lot of these gentlemen is that they have no idea of the philosophical beginnings of the Trinity. OK, and you keep uh, adding on or detracting from somebody else because you didn't like the way somebody else said it or whatever. But there is no foundation from the beginning. All right. That's where we're going to start. Uh, so we'll look at them and then I'll come back and uh, and talk about. Uh, and dissect these ideas to help you better understand what this knowledge is and how it should apply in your life. So one of the things I want to make sure that I am imparting here is that I'm not saying to follow me. OK, I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm not saying that I, I have uh, the right thing that you should believe that that's not where I'm coming from with this knowledge and information that I'm sharing. What I am doing is I'm sharing this knowledge from a perspective and I and I have researched it and gained knowledge about it. And I am giving you the information for you to decide for yourself what direction that you want to go in. OK, if it makes sense to you 
absolutely go further with it, study more, practice it, uh, do what it is that that will make your life better. But uh, definitely, you don't need another preacher. You don't need another guru. You don't need another somebody telling you how and what to think. That's not what I'm about. I am saying here's the information. Here's the knowledge. You decide for yourself if it is something for you to move forward with. How can I better understand the Trinity? I mean, I know it's in the Bible somewhere, but it's just really confusing. Well, today we're gonna try to clear that up. So today we're gonna tackle a very difficult question and one that is very commonly misunderstood, which is this idea of the Trinity. Now, the first question we wanna ask is, why is this important at all? Well, let me just say this. Whatever your view is on the Trinity communicates whether you agree with or understand basic Christian doctrines. I want you to notice how uh, when he talks about this, that he says the reason why it's important to to know is that you want to know if you're really adhering to the right doctrines. OK, the right Christian doctrines, basically. Now, it doesn't matter if you understand them. OK, you're just supposed to follow the rules and and you don't know necessarily uh, what the rules are with Christianity. And believe me, uh, my family, myself, uh, a lot of us, when it came to understanding what exactly the rules were, we really couldn't explain it. And the Christian, uh, the Trinity is one of those ideas that you just really can't explain and make sense of it. Okay. So it's not to make sense of it or in, in, in his, in the context that he's talking about is not to make sense of it so that you can use it. It's just so that you can understand, uh, if they say the right words that, okay, they're okay to follow. Okay. And, and that's, that's basically the, the bottom line for them. Okay. And for a lot of the Christians, but there's more to it guys, a lot more to it. Statement number one, there is one God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, the passage of scripture that I just read is actually called the Shema, which every Hebrew was taught to recite both in the morning and in the evening. So to deny that there is just one God makes you what is called a polytheist or someone who believes in many gods. And so because Judaism was a monotheistic religion and Christianity emerged or was birthed out of the Jewish faith, Christianity also subscribes to the fact that there is one God. Now, in this first part, he talks about understanding monotheism, basically. Okay. And he uses a scripture, uh, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, uh, to basically set the foundation for the belief in one God. And he talks about uh, the, what the Hebrews use it for as the Shema, okay? Now, the interesting thing is, is that if you look up this scripture, and if you look it up in the uh, the texts that are translated from the original scriptures, okay? Not Bible translations of translations, uh, English translations of translations. The term used for God is actually Elohim, okay? And Elohim actually means God's, all right. And the idea or the term used for Lord is another term that is used uh, that is basically that means master. OK, 
So when you're looking at the ancient scriptures, what you'll find is, is that the words that they use are not arbitrary. And then a lot of times in the English language and in the English translations, we just use arbitrary words to express the idea. This is where we get off on the uh, like the telephone idea is one person passes along something who passes along something. And once it goes wrong, it just keeps going wrong. OK, you can't get it back. But the but the the ancients are very specific in the terminology that they use when it comes to expressing these ideas. And the reason being is because it is an, is a science. OK, they're, they're not just like following doctrines. These are, are ideas that they actively pursue. That is an active aspect of their life, okay? And, and not just something that you just learn and then you just go about your day and you can recite it. The third statement that I want to leave you with today is that there is one God who coexists eternally in three distinct persons. This just simply means that God the Father is different or distinct or separate from God the Son, who is different or distinct from God the Holy Spirit, who is different from God the Father. But all of them are different persons or members of the Godhead. This is the reason why we should not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, because he is just as much of a person or a member of the Trinity as God the Father and God the Son, because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can speak to us and it also also refers to the Holy Spirit as one who can be grieved, right? So the Holy Spirit is not just some force. He's not an it. He is actually a person. This idea that God is a person, okay, or a, like a human being is exactly where Christianity just basically went off the tracks. And in antiquity, there were so many uh, groups that just did not agree with this idea of basically making God a human being, okay? So, but it has wreaked havoc on society for centuries because one group has claimed the personhood of God, that God looks like them. Okay. God looks like me. And that in itself makes that particular doctrine or that idea dangerous for anybody that does not belong to the group that claimed it. Okay. So, so this idea that God is a person, that it is, that you can't call it an it is actually an elementary understanding of the concepts because God is not human. God is not like a human being. The idea that God can grieve or God can feel and stuff like that. The ancient Africans would say that that is an elementary or low level understanding of these concepts, okay? And I'm going to explain to you in more uh, detail, I'm gonna break it down and have you look at this as to why uh, that's the case, okay? You see, this God would not be who he was if he did not love. If at any time the father didn't have a son who he loved, he simply wouldn't be a father. So father means to love. It means to give out life, to beget the Son. And so you begin seeing why the Trinity is such good news. God is love because God is Trinity. Now, this is another issue that the gentleman basically makes a nonsensical statement. But very few people in that crowd would, will analyze that statement. Think about this. 
God is love because God is a trinity or triune. What does that mean? What, what does that mean for you? The, the idea that, that God is love because God is a, a trinity. Okay, it, it, it is absolutely, positively nonsensical. Period. Um, the trinity is something really to be done in seminary. You know, the ivy-covered seminary. And we'll leave trinity for those pasty-faced and socially disastrous theologians. And they can deal with Trinity because it's, they enjoy talking about things like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin and how can three be one and all that sort of stuff. But it's not relevant to real life, right? And I think, I think deep in the Christian psyche today is the idea that Trinity is this awkward irrelevance, this wart on our knowledge of God. So he talks about the Trinity being awkward. Okay, it be, it's something that is so convoluted, basically, that nobody can really understand it. You know, only the theologians can. And the reason that it is so awkward and that only theologians talk about it from a Christian perspective is that they are trying to make sense out of nonsense. Okay, nobody can really grasp the idea or the the ancient idea of the trinity uh because they have convoluted it with the doctrines of christianity the erroneous doctrines okay so talking about it um you know waxing poetic about uh jesus and god uh and and these ideas uh it it is really a travesty because the idea is really so simple. It is so simple and such a simple concept. And it actually is very practical for you to use in your life every single day. Okay. So the reason why people can't talk about it is because they're confused. And he says it, you know, they're, they're confused about it. And it's never going to be easy based on the on the Christian doctrines and trying to make sense out of nonsense. It, it, it's just not going to happen. I expect them to talk about uh, grace, good. Uh, talk about forgiveness, good. But one thing I really don't expect them to talk about is which God they're talking about, right? I don't expect them to mention Trinity. In fact, I quite expect them to really back off from talking about the Trinity because they're a bit scared. They may get in a tangle and they're not quite on confident ground. And so what's happening in the church today is we're waxing lyrical about the beauty of the gospel, but not so much about the beauty of the God whose gospel it is. Now, this gentleman is talking about how people can talk about the Gospels, but not really talk about the beauty of God and, uh, and how beautiful God is in a sense. And this is one of the issues that, that I have with 
uh, Christianity and, and have had, okay, is that we worship an idea and the Trinity is one of these. We worship the idea, but it has no impact in our life other than saying that we worship this great grand idea. Then what? Even if you can talk about the beauty of God, what does it mean to you? And what does it mean to you in your life? Except that you just, uh, I guess, get some uh, brownie points for for other people or with other people. You get accepted by your group. But what does worship do for you? Really? Does it empower you? Does it make you more confident? Does it do anything in your life to help you to move forward in a way that you want to, in the way that you desire? Worship in itself is useless. And the ancient African ancestors did not worship. And I have so many people come to me and ask, well, you know, what did they worship? Did they worship this? Did they worship that? They didn't worship anything. It is a totally different paradigm. And the paradigm is meant to expand you, to give you confidence, to develop yourself, okay? To develop your God, goddess power. So worship in itself is absolutely positively useless. And anybody that is straining and struggling right now, tell me that it's not. Okay, I know so many Christians that are straining and struggling to worship, to live by these ideas. They'll go out and evangelize and preach to other peoples and then go back behind closed doors and break down and cry because they know that they're living a lie. All right. So this idea of worshiping something is positively useless. I want to change that for you today. Okay. So this is the Trinity explained clear and easy to understand. So you must have some background or foundational knowledge of ancient African concepts so that the idea of the Trinity makes sense. Humankind has hypothesized about how creation came into being since we looked up at the stars and wondered how they came to be. These questions are still contemplated today in our societies. Maybe not about the stars, but about other things. Today, we've compartmentalized these studies into theology and religion, science, biology, etc. In ancient Kemet, there was no difference. Everything was put together in a way that all of these things all worked synergistically. But ancient Kemet was no different in their hypothesizing about where the stars came from, how we came into being on Earth, um, you know, what, how the Earth came into being. Mankind has contemplated these ideas for centuries. They did not compartmentalize their concepts as, we, as we've done in the West, though. In ancient Kemet, theology merged with Earth science, which merged with biology which merge with astronomy and so on. What we worship in religion as a trinity is a fringe aspect of their holistic science. These concepts that today we call sacred and divine were simply expressing their science. The knowledge was passed down 
but the keys to decipher it were lost for many centuries. We knew they were important in our life, but we did not have the means to interpret this knowledge. This knowledge was then raised to a level of worship from a place of ignorance. The ancient Africans asked questions like, what was the timelessness of infinity like? In Kemet, their analysis of this question we know today as the Ogdoad. Four pairs of natures or nature symbolically expressing the theoretical aspects of infinity. Nun and Naonet equal infinite substance, analogous to water or amniotic fluid. Kauket and Kek equal infinite darkness. He and Hauhet equal infinite space. And Amen and Amunet, unknowable or hidden. All simultaneously present are part of infinity. They are expressed as parts, but they are one. They're not separate, but we have to talk about them separately just to explain them and even to wrap our head around them. But they're not separate ideas. Infinity is one big ball of whatever it is. So here we have uh, these ideas uh, just in a diagram, the Agdawad. And these were the answers that the ancients uh, gave to that question, what was infinity like? And they always used natural symbols to express these ideas. This is why you see frog heads and, and, and stuff on the human bodies. They, were, uh, they weren't worshiping these ideas. These, these are actually esoteric or secret language that they're expressing in symbolism to give you an idea of what they're trying to express and explain. The next question was, how did the universe come into being? Their hypothesis was explained through what we now know as the Grand Enid. At the foundation of the Enid is math or what we might term today as numerology. For the Africans, these numbers express the natural function of the universe. Their science included what was visible to the eye and all that was invisible or metaphysical. Matter and spirit were the same stuff on opposite ends of the spectrum. They ingeniously personified these concepts. So here we have a diagram of the Grand Enid. So we know our tomb, Shu and Tefnut, and then we get down to the bottom and we got Osiris, Isis, and Set. So all of these were basically mathematical constructs that they put into this diagram, okay? The number three became a foundational component of their science. But why? Because they surmised that functionally, anything created had to have a seed, an environment for the seed that produced and manifested the thing or fruit. So again, here's the diagram. So this is the basic framework. And, and all a framework is, is that it, it, it organizes the information for you. And the Trinity was a way to organize information uh, on different levels within their system. Okay. So it wasn't just one Trinity or isn't just one Trinity that's worshiped within Christianity. This is a framework. So this is something is showing you how things work at different levels. 
They express this basic Trinitarian concept of seed, soil, fruit in many ways, depending on if it was universal and metaphysical or specific to matter and the earth plane. On the universal level, they personified the ideas as masculine, feminine, and child. Atum, which was the fire and masculine, Yeuseus, which is feminine, the great mother, and Yeusa, which became the name Jesus, was the child or son of God. Biblically, John 1.1 is expressing this basic universal concept of fire, light, and the word. So again, the basic framework of the Trinity is masculine, feminine, or child, or Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anything in the universe has these three components in order to exist and continue to exist. There has to be a seed which they anthropomorphize as the masculine or father. There has to be an environment that the seed is planted in and nurtured which they anthropomorphize as the feminine, which we know as the Holy Spirit. Christianity changed that. And from this union, the fruit was anthropomorphized as the child that will be produced or the thing that will be produced from, these, from the union of these two concepts or two aspects. This cycle continues for eternity and on different levels. For them, there were three states of consciousness, the heavens, the duat, and the physical. So here I'm giving you a diagram to show you how uh, the names of the principle or the principle of the sun in this case changed on different levels. So, so they had different levels. So we have the, the universal level here, okay? Um, and then we have the physical level with Ptah, and then we have the uh, the earth level with Osiris, okay? And then we have the different names for the different uh, continuations of the sun. So for Atum, it was Yeusa. So at that level, Yeusa was the, uh, the 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 fruit of the union of the of the Trinity. On the physical level, Nefertum was the fruit of the union of masculine and feminine on the physical level. And in the duat, the union of the fruit and of the union of the masculine and feminine was Horus, okay? So again, all of these were at different levels and they were sp very specific. The names were like recipes. They weren't just arbitrary. They didn't just make a name up. It was actually a recipe that those who understood it understood that it was on a different level or what levels they were on. These concepts were very precise and very specific in the ancient comedic science. Once you understand the framework, you can grasp the Trinity on different levels. But through ignorance of the science and philosophy, Christianity grouped everything under the name of Jesus, no matter which level was being expressed. Hence the confusion of the Trinity today. This Trinity is specific to the duat or metaphysical. You can see here we have Asar, Aset, and Heru, or better known as Isis, Osiris, and Horus, which is where the earth plane is produced. In other words, out of this triplet or this Trinity, 
The earth plane, everything on the earth plane is produced. The masculine and feminine produces what has what is possible on the earth plane. They are, again, masculine, feminine, and child. Seed, soil, and fruit. Father, Holy Spirit, and Son, okay? So again, the, the Christians changed the idea of the Holy Spirit from a feminine aspect to a masculine aspect. And the feminine, the Holy Spirit, or the spirit in this case, is always and has always been in ancient times a feminine aspect because it is where the seed had to be planted. But they are all one thing that shows up or, or that, that produces whatever the phenomenon is. They're all the components of one source that is inseparable. And remember earlier, I talked about how infinity has the four components, but we have to talk about them as that they're uh, something separate and uh, identifiable, but it is one component, okay? And this is the same thing with the Trinity. So again, I show you here just uh, how the Trinity is named on the physical level and what the different components of the physical level of the Trinity are. So we have Ptah, Sekhmet, and Nefertun. But again, masculine, feminine, and the child. But again, they're all specific to the earth plane. The names, again, they change for each level. And they're like recipes. So the names are like recipes. The flaw within the Christian teachings is the worship of an idea without understanding the fundamental meaning of the concept or how it's used. That's what you get when these gentlemen earlier were talking about uh, the Trinity. They were talking about an idea that they had no fundamental concept of. They have it has gone so far off the beaten path and the right track that now they start talking about ideas like God is separate or, or they're distinct and, and different, or God is love, and, and uh, we should be talking about the love of God and stuff like that. But they have no fundamental understanding of where this philosophical idea first began and what it meant. So now they're just teaching in this box that they've learned these ideas in, and it's just all off track. All right. So they also, the flaw in Christianity is, again, they re-image the Holy Spirit or the environment, the soil or the feminine as male. They totally take the feminine aspect out. They also concretize the universal concept as, as a physicalized being that were personifications of abstract ideas for thousands of years. In other words, they made the sun or the, 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 the fruit they made that Jesus, okay? And they personified or physicalized Jesus and made Jesus historical. Again, that takes you off the beaten path of how all of this stuff fits together. No understanding, they have no understanding of the original philosophical concept. So the Trinity simplified is this. The original fire and light of spirit descended into matter or mother and became flesh. John 1, 1 expressed that in the beginning was the word, which was atum, fire, light. The word is enlightenment. The word is light, which is a play on word for enlightenment. Okay. The word or fire or light was with God, which was Horus. Okay. The enlightenment was a part of God, of the enlightenment that we all get. 
that enlightenment or aha moment that we all get when we figure something out. That word was with God, that light. And the word was God. That just simply means that everything in the universe is at its essence light. The fire and, and desire to exist and to come forth, that is light. That is the essence of creation, okay? And then, of course, John 1 and 14, the word or fire became flesh, okay? The fire and light became flesh and made its dwelling among us. That means that Horus or Jesus or also Lucifer, known as the light bringer, merged with matter or mother and into the womb of creation or the physical plane, all right? And then John 10 and 30 says, I and the Father are one, meaning that you cannot know the Father, the seed. You cannot know the seed until you see the uh, fruit. So a, a lot of seeds can look just alike, okay? So so metaphorically, uh, in, in an analogy, you cannot know the fruit, know the seed and what it will produce until it is produced. So it is through the fruit that you know the Father. I and the Father are one. That's where these scriptures come from. And these are the ideas that they are expressing and ancient ideas that they are expressing. Okay. So these scriptures are all expressing components of the Trinity from different perspectives. But only if you know the foundational principles and the esoteric language being expressed. Hopefully this is bringing some clarity on the Trinity for you. The Trinity is the ancient fundamental philosophy that the foundation of the manifested universe is the result of a seed uh, that has an environment to support and nurture that seed and the result or child created from that union. The creation can be a thought, a star, a planet, or have anything that has been or anything that has been created. But the underlying fundamental principle is that the Trinity had to exist in order for it to exist, in order for, in, in order for it to be created. As Christians, we worship the idea with no knowledge of its application within day-to-day -day life. So I want to give you just some practical application about this idea of the Trinity. So, for instance, you want to start a business. The idea is the seed, okay? Just, just wanting to start a business. That's the fire or the idea of the seed that you want to get something started. You want to do something different. Your attitude is the feminine or the environment. Are you fearful? Are you negative? Or are you hopeful and positive, okay? That's what, that's what your seed is being planted in. What can you nurture it to come into fruition if you're negative and fearful, okay? Probably not. But the beginning of the business is the fruit, okay? That's the Trinity. That's the practical application or practical way that you can look at the Trinity. Now, there's many others, but this is just one simplified way to help you understand what the Trinity means on a practical level and not just this theoretical uh, religious way of looking at it. It has practical, natural, normal application. All of the ancient, comedic, uh, all of these, the mythologies and everything, it's all connected to us and what we're about and who we are as humanity and who and what earth is and what we are on this plane of existence. It's not just some theoretical construct that you just 
pull out makeup and then just start attaching stuff to it like we've done in religion. Now, just ask yourself this question. Does this make sense? Out of all the stuff that you know about the Trinity and all the stuff that you've learned about it or heard about it in religion, does this explanation just simply make sense? Okay. Now, worship of this knowledge has created a mental prison for millions of people. The true knowledge of the Trinity is the foundation of ancient science. That science will empower you. That science will bring clarity where there was confusion. That ancient science will cause you to live life boldly, authentically, unapologetically, and on your terms without guilt or shame. Again, this is the framework. It's a simple, simple concept, and you shouldn't have to convolute it like we've done. It is very, very simple. It is the seed, soil, and fruit. Everything has to have these components in order to exist. And this existence is not separate from the creator. It is one. We are all one with this seed, soil, and fruit. We are the seed, soil, and fruit. We're the same, same thing, same stuff. We're not different and separate from it like we've been taught with Christianity. That's what's made this stuff so confusing when it shouldn't be. It's really, really simplified. Now, if you're really interested in learning about the uh, ancient comedic uh, symbolism, the, the terminology and the esoteric language, uh, you can take my class, uh, which is quickly and easily learn the secret comedic uh, esoteric keys to unlock the Bible. Uh, I break down all of this stuff and, and break it down to you in an easy to understand way. All right. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you like this, please subscribe to my channel. And uh, if you think that it will bring some enlightenment to somebody, please share it. And, uh, and hopefully it'll raise your vibration and your level of consciousness because that's what it's all about. Okay, guys, y'all have a great day.